And we welcome you to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopton, C70. It's bat at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. Um, last night on ESPN, there was Long Gone Summer, uh, which talked about uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in 98. And then today we got Long Gone Summer Part 2 in the <laughs> fact that the summer <laughs> baseball may well be gone. Tara, we saw today that the um, MLB has pretty much told the players, uh, we're not going to have a season unless you promise not to sue us. Um, and it really feels, well, I mean, so much has happened in this last week since we recorded, um, with the fact that we've gone from, you know, back and forth to the players saying, Hey, we're ready to play. Just tell us when. And now baseball saying, well, we were a hundred percent. We're going to play But Since you said that, not so positive anymore. Um, what kind of a mess is this? And is there really any hope that it's going to resolve? Oh, it is. It's the messiest version of two sides doing what they say is trying to get back on the field that I can possibly imagine. And I think the reading between the lines there is that eh, both sides might not be quite as focused as getting on the field as they uh, would like everyone to think. As for what you do to resolve it, Quite honestly, I don't know how there's any version of trust between the MLBPA and the owners and the commissioner's office without a dramatic change in personnel. And and that's obviously not something that's going to happen quickly, right? So since Rob Manfred is employed by the owners, not by the Players Association, he's going to be in that position until they decide they're unhappy with him. And right now it seems he's doing their bidding. So I can't imagine a scenario in which Rob Manfred draws enough ire from the owners, unless this turns into such a saga that the owners start to realize, Oh, not only is this going to impact our bottom line this year, but also in years to come. So maybe we should do something about that. As for the mess itself, look, it's a negotiation which by nature of being a negotiation means that there are two sides and they're both fighting for the best scenario for them. And that means that there's certainly room to look closely at what the Players Association has done or hasn't done and what the owners have done or haven't done and find fault in their reasoning or in their logic or in their priorities or whatever the case may be. But the reality seems to be, from what we can see from the outside, that the Players Association, while staunchly defending what they believe is their right to the previously agreed upon uh, contract, essentially the the mm-hmm. agreement in March while defending that they have been willing to move the line a little closer to what would be middle, right? Which is where you imagine a negotiation will end up at some point. You'll end up closer to the middle than where you started on the extremes. Meanwhile, the, owners have been just regurgitating the same bottom line with different colors and numbers and letters involved and just trying to make it look different from the outside when it's really not altering anything about the the actual offer the actual proposal and it continues to contradict that 
agreement in March, which is what the players have been unwilling to basically reopen and and discuss as far as the salaries are concerned. So I guess where I have landed on all of this is that, yes, there's a system, there's a, a methodical approach to complicated negotiations, and both sides of this equation are trying to utilize whatever leverage they have. That is fair, and it is the way the system is designed. What is not fair is the owners manipulating the system and trying to use it in an unfair way, which seems to be what has happened, what we have discovered or maybe confirmed as there were many suspicions along the way in the last you know, 24 hours, where it seems like the idea is that Major League Baseball was never going to move from their original starting position. They were just going to try to trick the players into falling into an agreement and then wait it out until they could, by nature of that March agreement, dictate the length of the season to be exactly what they wanted to pay the players anyway, which we keep talking about this. If I never hear good faith again, (laughs) it'll probably be too soon, but that manipulating the system to try to waste time to get what you wanted anyway that's not a good faith negotiation, no matter how you slice it. No, I mean, you know, the owners took until what, late May, I think, to make their first offer. And, you know, at the time of the March agreement, the players requested financial information that I believe, you know, Bill DeWitt's comments for the contrary, that at least the players say that they haven't gotten, or at least not gotten to the extent that they needed. Right. Um, There's some idea that they've gotten some audited statements, but they've been, you know, redacted and things of that nature. You can't really tell what they you know, are, which doesn't do you much good when you're trying to determine how much money these people have and how much they're actually losing this year. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you, you, you really like this. I mean, you never want to see this kind of thing, but you'd rather see this kind of thing at a time when everybody else is doing fine, you don't want to, you know, when, when the country's doing okay and things are all right, then, you know, it's still stupid to see people arguing over a big, huge pot of money, but at least it doesn't feel so grotesque as it does when, you know, half the country's out of work and people are sick and dying and protests are everywhere. And it feels like this should be the last thing that anybody's really worked up about. And yet here we are, but you know, you can't pick the time and place to fight for your rights either. I mean, to some degree, the players realize or feel like that, you know, if they give in here, then they're not going to get this ground back. And given the relationship between the commissioner, between the owners and the players, it's not surprising. I mean, there's, there's no trust at all between the two sides. I've thought a number of times never happened, but I've thought that the commissioner's job should be one of those where, the owners pay half the salary and the players pay half the salary and they have to agree on yeah. somebody to be in that spot because at least it give you a shot at somebody being a little bit more impartial than what we have now. I mean, granted it's better than making an owner commissioner, which was dumb, but not by much. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think it just really boiled down to the player. They wanted to get to this point where it was like, Oh, well, okay we'll give you full rated salaries, but Oh, look, our schedule, you know, we only have time for 50, you know, 
that's our that's our show for tonight. You know, we've right. only got time for this one little you know fifty games. Um, and you know, to to the players' credit, they said, okay, look, we're not going to let you play that game. We're going to give up right now and say, you set the time, you set the you set the the set schedule, do it now. And yeah, then they have the option to file a grievance on it. And you know, again, I understand the idea that you never want to go to court because you just don't know how judges or juries or whatever. And I'm, I'm assuming this is just an arbitrator that they would yeah. go to, but still, you just never know for sure how they're going to rule. So you don't necessarily want to take your chance, especially when there's a billion dollars on the line. But it feels to me that if you were really, really confident that your case was good, you wouldn't worry as much about, you know, trying to keep somebody out of court. So um, if it does at least appear that the owner's, at least have some idea that maybe they would be seen as doing a bad faith negotiation. Um, it's just, it's, it's all of a mess. I really, when it got down to, what was that? Thursday, Friday, Friday, maybe, I guess it was when the players said we're done and you set the schedule. I, I mean, I naively thought that was it, you know, we're going to actually have a season and they'll have to pick a date and they'll do something. But I never would have expected that, that the owners at least getting that control right there without the players arguing it would lessen the, the chances of a, of a season. And that's just what's, I think, I think what everybody's kind of on their kind of mind boggled about the fact that how does, you know, you go from a hundred percent to less than a hundred percent when you got something you wanted. Yeah. Well, that's what I think a lot of us are seeing and, and saying as far as the players kind of called their bluff. And mm-hmm. to your point, about the owners maybe feeling like there would be a chance that they would lose in front of an arbiter. There, look, there are two pieces of this, right? The The players are saying that they agreed to these prorated salaries and that in that agreement, they did acknowledge that they would discuss altering that agreement if there were not fans in the stands. As far as we have seen that did not suggest they would have to acquiesce and make changes to that agreement. That's where those, those financial uh, statements and and documents and all of those resources should have come into play, right? If, if the owners could present a case to the players and say, Hey, look, without fans in the stands, here's what we're up against. This is why we need to change it. That is what that conversation should have been from what we have been told the players are saying okay you haven't given us proof that that's the case so no we're not going to alter that part of the agreement so as far as the owners are concerned if there was no season theoretically if they really feel like the players are violating that part of the agreement they could file a grievance right against the players association the players association isn't worried about that they basically with their last statement said okay bring it (laughs) Like, we know where we stand. We know why we stand here. We've made our case. We feel good about our grounds, you know, legally to basically say we're not conceding that. So you do what you now have the authority based on that agreement to do, which is to determine the length of the season. There's also an element to that where the commissioner can decide to just not start the season, which is apparently the threat that was for the first time. given today but that piece of this that the that the owners can can determine the schedule right that's that's the concession that was made the players 
agreed to the salary arrangements, the owners can determine the number of games on the schedule. But in that agreement, it was to be as many games as possible mm-hmm. under the circumstances. Well, now it comes down to math, right? right? The number of days available within the window that you have to play, the number of off days that are going to be required, whether or not you're going to play double headers, and how you break that down into available days to play games gives you how many games you can play. And the problem is, right now, it's more than 48 games, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the number that the owners keep floating that they can just decide we're going to play 48 games and that's it because realistically that's the the bottom line of the amount of money they want to pay this season. The problem with that is that in doing that with whatever it is, 65 days or whatever it is that are available to play that breaks the agreement. So that is where the players could file a grievance from my understanding, I'm not a I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a negotiator. I'm just layman's terms. That is where the players feel like they could file a grievance if the commissioner's office decided, okay, we're going to start the season. I'm going to mandate this many games, but not utilize that extra two and a half weeks or that extra you know twenty days or whatever it is on the schedule to get to that agreed upon most games possible. That's where it feels like the players have said, we're not worried about our position. You're clearly worried about yours. So that should shine a light on maybe where the blame falls at this point. Yeah. If you go back, I think I saw, you know, they talked about, you know, July 14th would be about the biggest, best, earliest date, assuming this was before everything came out today, but this idea that they would, you know, could have set a date today and July 14th would have probably been about the farthest out, you know, a week to get ready, three weeks for camps. That would give you 74 days till the end of September, till the dates that they've said. So yeah, trying to fit 50 games into 74 days is a lot of off days. Um, You can (laughs) travel, see the sites, except for the fact you can't get out because of coronavirus. But I think not only that, you know, as they pointed out, even if they played 70 games um, with this, which the owners wouldn't do, and the, the, the players would still possibly have the right to say, look, we could have played more than half a season if you just, you know, if you had negotiated in good faith, if you had actually gotten to it instead of dragging your heels to the point that we couldn't play. Um, so they could even file the grievance even there. Um, I don't know that they would as much there if they got 70 games out of the, out of the they might just let it go, but uh, at full prorated salary. And of course that's not going to happen, but um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I just, it's so, I mean, I remember from 94 and talking about labor law and injunctions and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't, necessarily think we would get back to it as much as we are now and then you know look this is this is all over the pandemic this is all over what this is going to happen to we haven't even gotten to the cba negotiations yet because cba doesn't expire until end of next year Jan- december 20 20 yeah. december 1st 21 so i mean you could see a strike next year you could see a lockout after that i mean we may not see full season baseball till 2023 which is fairly insane um and you wonder what baseball would look like if that was the case and that's Mm -hmm. a topic for another show because we'll probably have time for it um (laughs) but 
all in all, it it's it just it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough to to see this the way it is. Um, is you know we also saw you know that there were some positive cases in, in baseball, um, which may mean that this is all kind of a moot point as well. Um, I don't know. Do you think that this is a little bit of a bluff? Do you think that this is kind of one of those things that after Manfred comes out and does this, that he, they're more likely to then in a week or so say, okay, we're going to, we're going to have games. Everybody says, Oh, great. I mean, the idea being that, Oh, wow, we're going to have baseball after all. Um, and, and people, the owners think that they're kind of rallying people to their side. I think that's the intent, but I also think the players union has made clear that they don't feel like they're obligated to do anything else Mm -hmm. because their offers to work around the schedule or, or come to some conclusion about pay, they were rejected soundly and not met with any kind of compromise on the other side. So it seems that their position is pretty firm. Tell us when, tell us where, and that's when we'll play. And then it's in the hands of the owners to decide if they want to risk the impending grievance if they start the season with fewer games than days in which they could play, or if there's a way for the players to, you know, file that grievance anyway, if they can prove the bad faith negotiation tactics that are to drag this out for another two weeks so that then they are in that window where 54 Mm. games or 48 games or whatever is the math actually does work out to the dates where they want the the season to end either way the the players are in a position for the first time really in all of this where they they kind of have the power position where they can just be like all right do it do what you're going to do, do what you have the the power to do, and then we'll counteract that with whatever it is that they decide to do. It's fascinating to me to watch the growing resolve from players, not just on the, the MLBPA front, right? This isn't just the union reps coming out and making statements. It is all over the internet with <laughs> players at all different levels, all different stages of their careers, all different you know levels of popularity, right? Basically saying, this is ridiculous. Tell us when to play. Tell us where to be. Because that's what you threatened to do all along. So they are operating maybe for the first time in a position of power in the sense that they don't feel like they're obligated to make another move and the balls in the, the court of, of the owners and of the commissioner to decide what to do with that and how to proceed within the confines of the agreement that is already on the table. And sure. The owners are going to try to get the players back to the table. As I just saw Rob Manfred said in this, you know, ESPN return to sports <laughs> interview or whatever it was. Uh, basically saying, of course we want to play. We just need to get the MLBPA back to the table. To which I would respond, well, why do you think they left the table? Because you kept saying the same thing over and over again and disregarding what they offered in return. That's not much of a conversation. It's not much of a negotiation. It's just a, 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 a perhaps not you know legally 
speaking a stalemate, but it certainly felt like one. And that was where things ended. So if they want the Players Association to come back to the table, they're going to have to be willing to move off of that 33% or whatever it was of the, uh, the, the season salaries for these guys and go back to the idea of prorated salaries as agreed upon or open up their books to make a, a, a stronger case as to why they can't. Yeah, it's um, kind of, you know, I don't know, it feels like to me, you know, they say, well, we got to wait, we got to have them come back to the table. It's no, you don't. I mean, that's the thing. You don't have to. You have the power to put out, yes, you're going to probably get the grievance filed at you, but you're probably going to get a grievance filed at you anyway. Um, If you want baseball back, all you have to do is say, okay, we're starting July 14th, and here we go. Um, And that's the thing. Just to piggyback off of that, they could create that season schedule that is 65 games or whatever and mm -hmm. and go with that, not – try to force the issue to only play 48 games or whatever. If they really wanted to make up that difference, that would still be significantly less than what the players last offer was. And the owners would be able to say that they won, right? They got the season down to 65 games instead of 76 or 80, whatever it was that the players offered. Mm -hmm they would still be able to claim that as a victory. Now there might still be a grievance based on the good faith part of that agreement. Again, I'm tired of saying those <laughs> those two <laughs> words together, but nonetheless, yes, there could still be a grievance there, but they still have the, they still have the, the opportunity to resolve this without paying as much as the players have asked for, as far as games in the season and by restarting the season, then they could address all of those baseball employees and personnel that they so brutally tried to blame the players for their lack of work, which is hilarious because the players are the ones who have wanted more games, which would be more work for those people, not less, but nonetheless, again, a, a ploy to try to manipulate public opinion. But they have the ability to resolve this tomorrow if they should so choose and still do it in a way that, again, basically they win, even if they don't get quite to that bottom line number that they've wanted all along. And that's why it's hard to take anything that they say seriously as far as, well, we need the we need the union to, to come back and, and discuss this. Well, not really. Yeah, it's almost like the the old thing of you know how I'm going to hit this button. Well, go ahead. No, I'm really, I'm really, I'm going to hit this button. Yeah. Well, you don't don't try to stop me from hitting this button. And then the players are going to go ahead. That's what we, you know. I mean, right. it's not what we want, but we're to the point where it, you know, that's better than nothing, and we'll we'll deal with the ramifications. Yeah. Um. So I yeah, it's a you know again, this is something that's going to be with us for a while. I mean. Because it just doesn't feel like we're going to come to spring training 2021 and everybody's going to be hunky-dory and, and things are going to move on. I mean, no, you no, I, I, I honestly think this has done irreparable damage to the current structure as far as the MLBPA and Major League Baseball is concerned in that you can't repair trust between these two parties, like I said, without a significant change in personnel. And whether that's Manfred, whether that's 
ownership, whether that's people in front offices, whatever it is, whether it's Dan Halem, whether it's Tony Clark, whether it's, you know, pick a person involved in this situation. There's, there's so much, there's such a lack of trust that has been compounding over years and years and decades, honestly, in the game of baseball, that this just magnified it to such a point that I don't know if you can repair that. I think you almost have to replace it. And I don't, I don't know how you do that. Certainly not in the midst of a shortened season with a worldwide pandemic happening. And with the new CBA on the horizon, I don't know if you try to make a change before then in order to simplify that process or if that just complicates it more. So yeah, it's going to be around a while because there's not a quick fix to any of this at this point. No, no, there's not. It's, um, and again, we, we felt like going into this year, we might be talking about some issues because of the minor league contraction and, you know, how in that kind of yeah, back and remember forth. When that was a yeah. Headline. Remember when that was a thing? Um, I don't, I don't think we expected anything like this. And, you know, I don't think we expected this even in March. I think we, a lot of us felt like that March agreement kind of, okay, that, you know, that covered this, covered some bases and we should be good to go. And, you know, and I, I think, I feel like maybe even both sides, but I think especially the players felt like that did that they were like, okay, well, you know, whenever we come back, we'll get our salaries. And I don't know if the owners legitimately didn't think that was the case. And, and again, there is some language in there that made it sound like that was an option to, to discuss it. Of course, most of them, when they left, thought we'd come back with fans on the stands and we wouldn't have this of an issue, but um, it's, it's turned into, Exactly, quite the mess, and, and like I said, it very well may not be something that can be fixed uh, with the current people involved. And unfortunate that is, that is. Um, there was also other news this week, um, for all the good it did these people. Um, but the major league draft happened this week, all five rounds of it, um, instead of 40. Um, the Cardinals have also signed a few people at that $20,000 max instead of 100000 max like they used to be. Um, but so the Cardinals have added, well, I think they've had five or six today, yesterday and today. So they've added about 12 to 13 new people to the minor leagues and have absolutely no place to put them. Um, anything that struck you out of the draft? You know, I... I'm very happy to leave the draft analysis <laughs> to <laughs> Kyle and to Ben and to, you know, the folks who spend much more time invested in, you know, kind of the high school ranks and, and college baseball. Although this year, that was certainly a, a bit more challenging. So there's plenty of analysis out there as far as the players in and of themselves. I do think it's interesting. Uh, the perhaps shift to some degree with the Cardinals in favoring kind of like the, the high risk, high reward high school players mm -hmm. in recent years for a long time, there was seemingly much more of a focus. And, and obviously all of this depends on who's available in the draft, where you're drafting all those details. Right. But there was more of a focus on kind of that college level, a little more polished, a little more advanced, whether it was position players, but in particular pitchers. And the last couple of years, it seems with Randy Flores, perhaps, there has been a little bit more 
of uh, a push to take a chance on a kid that's super great athlete, maybe is, uh, you know, a little bit erratic at the plate or something to that effect. And, um, you know, we saw a little bit of that this year as well, taking a, a risk on a player that could have a huge career if it develops as they think it might very high ceiling. Um, but perhaps uh, a little bit more work to do to get to that point. So that's sort of my general take on what we saw there. But I I think even more broadly than that, it's just, it's such a, it's such a hard time to be excited about much in baseball because you're right. They have nowhere to go, but then you have all these undrafted kids signing for much lower than they probably should be signing for. And, you know, it's easy to look at that and say, oh, I'd play baseball for $20,000. Well, okay, but <laughs> you probably make more than that at whatever job you're working now. And there's a guarantee of some sort that you actually have a place to work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the the remainder of your career isn't in question like it is in this case. But then, of course, we also saw today that there Major League Baseball is uh, strongly discouraging anything extravagant in order to sign these kids as far as, you know, academics are concerned, scholarships, that sort of thing. And while that's a, a, we were discussing before the show, that's a weird thing in and of itself. It just is a reminder again, that there's such a strange emphasis in this game right now that we don't want anybody to actually get paid. Like we want to give you enough money to make you think that this is a good idea, (laughs) but not actually enough money that it's a good idea for you. And it's so unfortunate. Look, I realize this is a weird season. This is a weird year. I haven't worked in three and a half months. (laughs) I understand that it's a weird situation and people are trying to cut corners and save money and figure out how to make it through till whenever normal returns and whatever that looks like. But this isn't, these aren't, this isn't the mom and pop shop down the street that can't afford to pay its employees anymore. And even so the the employees aren't necessarily responsible for taking on all of that risk. Like major league baseball is asking these players to do. And in light of all of that, they look, they were going to eliminate minor league teams before a pandemic hit. So to suddenly blame eliminating minor league teams on a pandemic or to suddenly blame, you know, whatever these pieces are of this puzzle on the pandemic, it's a convenient excuse, albeit a real one, right? This is a real thing. And yes, I'm very much aware that these major, sorry, I got real worked up about this. Uh, I'm very much aware that these teams that are used to making just like unbelievable amounts of money in a season, right? Aren't going to be making unbelievable amounts of money in a season. That is a fact. That is the way that this is going to work when you're only going to have 48 games in a season. If that, as opposed to 162 games plus the postseason, you're not going to make the same amount of money. No one's arguing the opposite of that. No one is <laughs> suggesting that this is going to be a highly profitable season for Major League Baseball teams and their owners. All we're saying is that these kids who are coming into this game are pawns in a scheme from Major League Baseball to eliminate as much cost as they can, whether they need to or not. And that is where not making those financials available makes it really easy to say, okay, but you would have done this if you could have gotten away with it four years ago. 
why should I take you seriously now when you're saying that this is absolutely necessary? Um, so much like the negotiations, this is just another way that it feels like Major League Baseball is sort of manipulating the system and the circumstance in the world right now to their own advantage and then saying, well, how dare you players argue over thousands of dollars that average Joe's across the country would love to have. Like it's just, it's so disingenuous across the board. And that's how this whole draft felt. Making it only five rounds was absolutely insane. And then the restrictions they're imposing on signing these kids after the fact, it just all feels like taking advantage of a bad situation instead of trying to find a way to make a bad situation less bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it, you know, you could make an argument for shortening the draft to some degree. Sure. Even in a regular year. Fine. <clears throat> and, you know, the owners could have easily said, okay, this year we're going to have 10 rounds. Because, I mean, even if you do what they did, they, they took, you know, the most that they're paying anybody is $100,000 and the rest of it gets deferred over the next two years. So, the you know, the Cardinals' first round pick is supposed to get, I don't remember, $3 million maybe? I don't remember what the slot is. We haven't, he hasn't signed yet, but say $3 million. Well, he's only going to get 100000 now and that other $2.9 million gets split up over the next two years. Still gets the money, but not right now. So it's a cash flow thing. Fine. Say you even do that. But, you know, even as a reasonable show of good faith, make the round, make the draft 10 rounds. You know, I mean, yeah. instead of taking every single solitary advantage you can, because when you start doing that, when you get it down to five rounds, where you, you know, make sure you don't have to spend any money this year, where you cut the, you know, the signing down for the to 20,000 for these guys that didn't get drafted. You know, when you continue to nickel and dime right there, because that's not much. I mean, especially if you're only putting out $100,000, it would have been, what, another $50,000 or $500,000 to have five more rounds this year. I mean, overall, it's going to be more, but for this year, it would have been only another $500,000. And I'm pretty sure that they have that in their lint pockets. I mean, that's just, that's, that's not much in Major League Baseball terms. So you could have done that. And as a as a nice goodwill gesture or something of that nature to use different words than good faith. Um, and, you know, maybe you would have had something there, but when you continue to take advantage as far as you can, it's not surprising that the players are going to trust nothing. Um, when, you know, again, this is a, these are people that know every single nook and cranny about how to keep a guy down till, one day past yeah. that service time, you know, it's not surprising that, you know, they don't trust them to read a contract or, or any kind of ambiguity in that March agreement, you know, they're going to try to push and take advantage of. So again, it's, it's baseball shooting themselves in the foot. You said before we got started, you talked about how the owners always seem to have that short-term view instead of the long-term view, which is just so, crazy to think about because if anybody should have the long-term view, it's the owners because they're going to be there for 20 or 30 years. Whereas the players, you know, there's some players that, you know, are done. They don't know it, but they're done. You know, they're probably not going to get to play again if this doesn't happen in 2020. Um, there, you know, there's some players that, you know, may only play two or three years. It would be very 
unsurprising to see players kind of grasp for whatever they could get, make what the money they could get right now. But they seem to be more likely to take the long-term view and that idea that people before them fought for these rights and they're not going to just give them away than owners who, again, should have had a little bit more idea of we're going to lose some money this year so that we don't lose, you know, three times as much money over the next two years. Yeah. It's, I I don't even know. It's just, it's such a mess and it, it shouldn't be. Um, There's no reason that it needs to be this complicated, except that there are clearly very different goals between the two sides of this negotiation. And, and look again, I will reiterate that the players want their money, right? That's we're not, they're not fooling anyone either. (laughs) They want to get paid what they were told they were going to get paid, but that's not any different than anyone else who goes to work and wants to get paid what they were told they were going to get paid. Mm-hmm. If I sign a contract that says I'm going to get paid $400 a day and then I get ready to go to that job and they say, actually, it's going to be $150 a day. I'm not going to just be cool with that. <laughs> so that's not an abnormal concept, mm-hmm. but that is what they're looking at right not only for themselves but moving on into the cba moving on into years beyond their own baseball careers making sure that the the players do have a voice in how they are compensated that's why the union exists so that they're not taken advantage of by owners that don't really care about their well-being but there does seem to be more of a desire on the part of the players to get on the field and provide baseball for their fans than there is for that of the owners. And that in and of itself tells a lot of this story about what the priorities are and and who's working towards some sort of conclusion as opposed to just waiting out the clock until they get what they wanted anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something for sure. And um, again, I think it's it's telling that right now we just kind of hope this is all a big bluff strategy thing that they're, you know, just trying to stall instead of actually not yeah. believing that the season. And, and I mean, that's, that's what we're hoping for is the owners are lying to us. Um, you Which know. wouldn't be the first time no. this week. <laughs> no, but it's, it's the first time I think you hope for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe, but it would not be the first time that they have, obviously. Um, so anyway, um, Tara and I will be with you next week probably um and we'll see what happens if the if by this time next week we might have a definitive answer of yay or nay on a season um but we'll we'll see how that goes but until then that's tara i'm daniel good night hey cardinals fans thanks for listening to this week's show if you liked what you heard you can find us on itunes just search gateway to baseball heaven under podcasts and click subscribe While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.